And we're going to continue worship as Gracie brings us a reading from Luke chapter 1. Let us praise the Lord, the God of Israel. He has come to the help of his people and has set them free. He has provided for us a mighty saviour, a descendant of his servant, David. He promised through his holy prophets long ago that he would save us from our enemies, from the power of those who hate us. He said he would show mercy to our ancestors and remember his his sacred confidence. With a solemn oath to our ancestors Abraham, he promised to rescue us from our enemies and allow us to serve him without fear, so that we might be holy and righteous before him all, all the days of our life. And so we turn to the Bible again for our next reading, which is from Luke chapter 22. And we are starting at verse 14. A familiar passage to many of us. When the hour came, Jesus and the apostles reclined at the table and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. And after taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this, divide it among you, for I tell you I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to them saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. And we leave it there. When Jesus stood up to preach that sermon in the synagogue in Nazareth, right at the start of his ministry, the people in the congregation were surprised and a bit upset. Jesus had grown up. In their town, they'd seen him as a small boy and then as a young man. They thought they knew everything about him. Suddenly, here he was, claiming that he was the chosen one. God's anointed Messiah who people had been expecting for centuries. The man God had anointed to liberate his people from all the negative things that dominated their lives. Set them free to live life to the full. And the people listening were actually quite offended. Who does he think he is making such stupendous claims for himself? Yet as the months went by, Jesus demonstrated that he was a man of his word. People who met him, put their trust in him, found that he turned their lives around, gave them an inner freedom they felt they'd never had before. The Spirit of the Lord was on him to bring good news to the poor. The blind did see. The oppressed were set free. People found the Lord's favour. He was the one on whom the Spirit of the Lord rested. And then at the end of his ministry, the night before he died, 
Jesus again makes quite an enormous claim as he shares that last meal with his disciples, takes a cup of wine, passes it round and says, look, my death, my death is going to seal the new covenant that God promised centuries ago he's going to make with his people. It's going to start with me. And under the terms of this new arrangement between you and God, everyone will enjoy a personal relationship with him. Your past will be forgiven and forgotten. God himself will align your hearts and your minds with his own good will and purposes. You will belong to him and he will belong to you. That night, Jesus tells his disciples that the following day, his death will mark the start of this new deal between God and his people. Why did Jesus have to die to make that happen? What has Jesus' death got to do with our forgiveness? God forgiving and forgetting our sins. There's a phrase that comes up again and again early in the part of the Bible where somebody does something wrong, God says, he's going to bear his iniquity. In other words, literally, if you do this, on your head be it. You will pay the consequences of what you've done. But then sometimes God says, actually... I'm going to bear your iniquity. And that's another way of saying, I'm going to forgive you for what you've done. I will take the responsibility and the blame for the mistakes you've made and clear up the mess you've created. And when Jesus died on the cross, he was literally bearing the iniquity and the sin of the world. All the damage we've done to ourselves and others, the pain that we've caused, the guilt that we've incurred, Jesus says, I'll take all that. I'll bear your iniquity. And because he did so, because literally on the cross, God bore the iniquity of the world, we can be forgiven. The things we've done can be forgotten. And we can be released from guilt, healed from pain, and set free from the past. That's why Jesus said, this is the new covenant in my blood because his death made that possible. And it's there at the cross that we meet God, because at the cross, God comes right down to our level, choosing to meet us at our most vulnerable vulnerable place, at the place of pain and suffering and death, because that way God plumbs the depths of human existence. It's at our lowest point that he makes himself known to us as our saviour. You can't go lower than Jesus did. And however low you are, it's at that point that Jesus is able to meet with us. So it doesn't matter how unworthy or useless we might feel, he claims us as his own and offers to rewrite the script of our lives if we allow him to take the reins. And as we allow him to take control, he liberates us to live our lives fearlessly for him because he enables us to lead better lives as the people he set apart for himself. Right from the word go, Jesus makes it clear that redeeming people whose lives have become a mess is what his ministry is going to be all about. There he is standing shoulder to shoulder with ordinary people waiting in the queue to see John the Baptist. The Baptist will see you now. And before he takes our place and dies for our sins on the cross, he identifies with us 
as people in need of forgiveness as he gets baptised with everybody else. Identification precedes taking our place. And if getting baptised with everybody else was the moment when Jesus signalled his readiness to identify with us in our need, then when we get baptised, that is the moment when we signal our readiness to be identified with him as our Saviour and Lord. We say that we are people who are not afraid to put Jesus in charge of our lives. That's why I love Lena and Margaret getting baptised here this morning. And we will hear their own stories in their own words, in a few minutes' time. When we get baptised, we are in effect asking Jesus to wash away our guilt. That's the symbolism of the water. It's a cleansing thing. The water doesn't do anything. It's a picture of the cleansing that God gives us to make us clean on the inside. We're asking him to release us from the past. It's a picture of dying to all that we have been and rising again to live a new life. That's one of the reasons why I'm a Baptist minister, the picture of going into the water, under the water, out of the water, dying, burial, resurrection. The past is behind us. We lead a new life with Christ in charge now. And we asked him to change the direction of our lives so that we stop living our way and we start living his way. It's a way of dedicating our lives to God and affirming that from now on we are, we're grounding our identity our sense of who we are in the security of his love for us and his acceptance of us. That we're God's children. And we put our trust in his unchanging, constant love towards us. And we have a confidence that this love and the commitment we're making in response to it will see us not just through the rest of our lives, but will actually take us beyond this life and into eternity. That's the Christian hope. And when Jesus was baptised, John saw heaven opened and he saw the Holy Spirit coming down on him in the shape of a dove. I don't see nor do I expect to see any doves or pigeons flapping around in church this morning. But nevertheless, the act of getting baptised is a profoundly meaningful experience. To both love Lena and Margaret, God will say, you... You are my beloved daughter. I'm delighted and thrilled with what you are doing. And while I have no idea how the presence of the Holy Spirit will manifest himself in your hearts, I would encourage you to be open to what God might say to you or do for you this morning as you get baptised and as we pray that he will fill you to overflowing with his Holy Spirit. I know there's a sense in which getting baptised is just one more step in your lifelong journey with God, but it is a profoundly significant step. And all of us here on earth and everybody in heaven is right behind you as you take it. And what about the rest of you? Offspring of vipers. Those are John's words, not mine. And I'm not about to castigate you in that kind of way. Yet other things, he said, I do want to refer to this morning. John said, I baptise you with water. But the one coming after me, that's Jesus, he will baptise you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And I'm saying those words. I can baptise in water. I can baptise as a sign that, you know, Lovelina and Margaret are, are looking for God to wash away their past and want to make a commitment to him as Lord. And it's a new start for them. 
I can do that symbolic baptism in water. But baptism in the Spirit, that's God's business. That's Jesus' business. That's the life-changing difference that Jesus makes. Filling us with the knowledge of his presence. Putting all the rubbish in our lives on the Holy Spirit's bonfire. And firing us up to live wholeheartedly for him. Jesus has called Margaret and Lovelina to take a step of faith by getting baptised today. No one's bullied you. No one's twisted your arm. No one's got you into a corner and says, you've got to do this. It's come from a, a sense that God's telling me this is something I've got to do. And we're not into twisting anybody's arm here or forcing people or putting people under pressure. But I want to ask you, as people in the service or people listening on the podcast, what is Jesus calling you today to do? What is God saying to you? Is he saying, actually, what about you getting baptised as well? Or maybe it's a step of committing your life to him as Lord and Saviour for the very first time. Or maybe you're nowhere near taking that step yet. Maybe for you the next step would just be to sign up for the Alpha course we're planning to run from the end of September onwards. Or maybe you did this years and years ago. You remember getting baptised and you just think, ah, oh, I've had a real mess of things since then. In which case the step he's calling you to make is one of rededication. Asking him to cleanse and renew you again, to fill you afresh with the Spirit. But whatever stage you're at on your journey with God, you can all be sure of this. God sent his Son to be your Lord, to be your Saviour, to turn your life around and change it for the better. And the process of making that a reality in your life starts with you taking whatever step it is he's calling you to take today. So, I became a Christian at baptism service. I, I knew there was something I had to do. I wasn't quite sure what it was. So I went forward in response to the appeal at the end of the service, and to my surprise, I found myself saying, I think I want to become a Christian. If you feel God is calling you to take a step, but you're not quite sure what it is, have a word with me, or with another Christian whom you know and trust, or join the prayer team in the chapel after the service this morning. But if God is speaking, and you know you've got to do something, do something about putting it into practice before you leave this church today.